Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Guys, today we are continuing with our series on the year of the Bible. And last week we, we, we leaned into Genesis and we began this journey. If you haven't downloaded the Version app yet, let me encourage you to do that. And then as you do that, you can go to plans. Um, you can type year of the Bible. Then you can click on our logo and you can begin the year of the Bible reading plan and devotions. But last week we saw the beginning of the root of sin. And that came from Adam and Eve. And so, but today we're getting into Genesis chapter 4. There was a lot of things. There's so much I, I want to cover, but just not able to. Or it'll be in, it'll be like five years of the Bible versus the year in the Bible. So we're going to just stay with the with the one year. But in the beginning of Genesis chapter four, we see the beginning of of what Paul wrote about in Romans, and we see that that in Genesis three we see the root of sin. Adam and Eve coming into agreement with Satan's suggestion that they can do it on their own. They don't really need him. And they, they, they took that. They took the bait. They ate of the bait. And they rejected God's command. They rejected him. They said, we can do this. We can do it on our own. And that's really what happened. They rebelled against God, yes. But that rebellion was a result, now hear me today, of them coming into agreement with the narrative of Satan. So listen, today is a unique message. And just like last week I talked about being led of the Spirit, this week as I was preparing, I wanted to go another direction. And then the Lord's like, I wanna deal with this. And I was like, but Lord, my plans over this year of the Bible was to do this. And he's like, it's my Bible, I get to do what I want. So okay, okay, no problem. But the Lord highlighted something. And it was about this idea of coming in agreement with the narrative of Satan, which Adam and Eve did. And so as we look back, they agreed with and acted on what Satan suggested. They took the fruit. And they as they took the fruit, it removed their innocence and it opened their eyes to what is evil and to what is good. Thus, it gave them the ability, now hear me today, to choose evil and good. When you're innocent, you don't know what is evil and what is good. But when they became aware of it, when they received the knowledge of it, now there's a choice. And now, not just they can choose it, but now they can choose to multiply evil or to multiply good. By doing good deeds, you multiply. By doing evil deeds, you multiply evil. And so up to this point, it was up up to the point before they took of the fruit, it was impossible for humankind to produce evil. They could not produce evil. They could not inflict evil. Just saying, Adam and Eve had never had a fight. They never had to deal with pride. They never argued over, over the, which directions to go while they're driving in the, in the, in the car. They, they never argued about where they're going to go out to eat. And she never said, I don't care. And then when he said, let's go here, she said, I don't want to go there. That never happened. 
And so after they ate of it, they received the knowledge and they could inflict it on others if they chose, like Satan did to them. So the question always is, why is there evil in the world today? It's because man knows how to inflict evil on others and against themselves. It's been inherited, friends, unfortunately, through our corrupted flesh. Our flesh, the DNA of our very being. We have, we have inherited it. Listen, friends, the sin that you inherited, it's not because of grandma or grandpa or your great-great-grandparents or some, somebody who was a warlock and a witch along the way. The sinful corruption that you have in your being is from Adam. It came from him. And so every person that is born, even those born in a Christian home, are born under the curse of sin. Now, there's benefits of being born in a Christian home. Absolutely there are. You're taught the word of God. You're prayed for. You're covered by, by godly parents. You're, 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 you're being protected by your covering as the father and then the mother over your spiritual life, being protected from the strategies of the devil. But each person, each person, regardless of a Christian home or not, must make a decision at some point in their life to repent and follow God through faith and the work and the grace of Jesus Christ or to not. No person, and hear me today, no person is saved because of who their parents are. And no person also is condemned because of who their immediate parents are. Romans 10 as, I, 10, as I mentioned earlier, Paul said, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is, it's God's dealings with the person that makes it possible for salvation. Now in Christ, we are no longer a slave to sin. But for the context of where we are in this biblical journey, Sin has just entered the world in Genesis 3. It's the root. And now in Genesis 4, we begin to see the fruit of sin. And so we begin in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. This is where it all began. This is the, the start of, of humankind. After the fall of man, after they were put outside of the Garden of Eden, this is, Genesis 4 has a lot of first in it. First family, first birth, as we'll find out also, first murder. Before we get there, when we see this and we see, wow, Adam, Eve, and Cain, and Abel, and that's the first family. And there was a, there's a story of a little girl who went to her mom and she said, mom, where, where do humans come from? And the mom said, well, there was a man named Adam and a woman named Eve and 
They were created by God and they had two sons, Cain and Abel, and they got married um, to uh, other women and had a bunch of children and that's where humans come from. So the little girl later went to her dad and says, Daddy, where did humans come from? And her dad said, well, we came from apes and we've evolved over millions of years and that's why we're here today. So the confused girl was, I, I don't understand. So she went back to her mom and said, Mommy, you said that we came from Adam and Eve and God created them. And Daddy says that we came from apes and monkeys. And the mother said, oh, that's fine, sweetheart. Your dad was just describing his side of the family. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but Genesis 4 is the beginning of family. It's the, the first family, the first births. The first dysfunctional family, the first murder. And so as Adam and Eve are adjusting, now think about this, they're adjusting to the fruit of sin in their lives. Before it was, it was very easy, they were in the garden and they fellowshiped with God and now they're adjusting. The disappointments really of what their sin had cost them. The reminder of what it used to be like. I wonder if they sat around and said, Man, Eve, if only you hadn't given me that fruit, things would be different. And she said, well, you shouldn't have taken it. And he says, well, it's still your fault. And she said, it's still your fault. And that's how they talked about things, maybe. I wonder if they talked about, though, the closeness of God. I wonder if they talked about things that, they, that were very peaceful, but now something had changed. And they're holding on maybe to a promise. I want you to think about that for a moment. Right on the heels of their sin and their failure, there came a promise. And that was a promise by God. And I, I, they have to be thinking about this as they were put outside the garden. As they now they, he, he needs to toil the ground. And, and she is, has, is, is having birth contractions and, her, and, and things are growing inside of her. And it's a little painful. And, and maybe as, as Eve's stomach is growing, the baby is moving. They're thinking about the promise from God that he was going to bring someone a promise that he gave to undo what sin and Satan had done and they would be restored back to Eden. So they had to be thinking about this, the first child, because Genesis 3.15, right after the fall says, I, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he, meaning the seed of the woman, will crush your head, speaking of Satan and sin. And you, speaking of Satan, will strike his heel. And so this is still echoing in their hearts and their minds. And so they, they have a, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman. Here he comes. They don't know the context. They don't know the full plan of God. And they have to be thinking, this is the one who's going to save us. And so, Cain is born. And what Cain means is, is we have required, or sorry, acquired from the Lord. And so maybe they were thinking, this is, we have acquired God's promise. 
And so Cain is born and then Abel is born and Cain is the first child that's born under the curse of sin. Think about that for a moment. The first child that was born and selfish. They didn't have to teach him how to steal or be mean or try to hit his mama or bite or say no or whatever else toddlers do. They were like, where did this come from? But he was the first child born under sin. So the scripture goes on and then we're going to get into the application today. Genesis 4, 3 through 7. In the course of time, so we don't know how much time. We don't know how much time had gone through. But we do know is that somehow they knew that there was, you were to bring offerings to God. But in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. He was a farmer. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain became very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If, if you do what is right, and I want you to look at this for a moment. If you do what is right, God says, will you not be accepted? Now, I, I want you to take note. Some translations say that God did not accept Cain's offering and did accept Abel. The, actually, the, the original Hebrew is that God actually had regard for both, but he just showed favor on Abel's. It doesn't mean he didn't accept Cain's. It means that he just showed favor on Abel's. And so listen, he says, why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now, Cain, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you. The word there is to own you, to possess you, to control you, to rule over you. But you must rule over it. So sin's desiring to rule over you, but you must rule over it. So obviously this is a moment that Cain is wrestling with some sinful nature issues. He's wrestling with jealousy, he's wrestling with anger, he's wrestling with judgment against God, against Abel. He's, he has selfishness and what about me? And these are inherited, broken tendencies of his human nature. And they're tempting him. And again, we go back to the, to the narrative of Satan in the garden and what locked them into sin was their agreement with what Satan had said. In other words, the agreement to act on it, to do something, to move forward in it. And so they come into an agreement of, sorry, he was being tempted to come into an agreement with what his feelings are feeling. To come into the agreement of the narrative that he's wrestling with in his, in his own heart and in his own head about Abel and about God. And, and it's visible. It's changed his, his, his posture. It's changed his face. He's angry. And the more he entertains, the more the voices in his head get louder. 
It's interesting, we have an example though here of the first fruits of sin and the offspring of Adam and Eve. And it's in the situation of worshiping God and relationship with others. This area of our attitudes, and this is what where the Lord led me today. This area of our attitudes of our sinful hearts, it's a very big deal. And I think in our Christian culture, this is probably one of the most overlooked areas of sin and bondage within the Christian culture today. And we actually excuse away the strongholds of the attitudes of our hearts, and we actually accept them as okay. But I believe the most destructive toxin to believers, to, to our personal joy, to our peace, and to the hindrance of us living out what God has called us to live is because of the attitudes of our hearts. Listen, Cain wasn't offended because God didn't accept his offering, but he was offended because God showed favor on Abel's offering. He was mad. What about me? What about my feelings? And so at this moment, Cain picked up a grudge Something set in his heart, a grudge against God, against Abel. And he carried it and it festered in it. And it began to speak to him and it began to, to, to say things to him. And God knows this. And you know what God says about this grudge? He says, listen, son, listen. Sin is crouching at your door. It's right there. It's waiting for you. It wants you. It wants to own you. And so God was saying this, don't let it in. Don't open the door. I, Cain, I know you feel like this. I know you feel wronged. I know you feel it's, it's not just, but Cain, you're, 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 you're exaggerating some things. I accepted yours. I showed favor on Abel because I'm God. I, I can show favor in who I, who I want, and, but, but Cain didn't like it. So God says, listen, I know you're wrestling with anger, but don't let that grudge, that sin that's crouching at your door. That's a picture. It's waiting for the opportune time. You think it's going to come in and help you? You think it's going to fuel your case? You think it's going to empower you? It's waiting to own you. When you open that door, it's going to own you. And that's speaking of a stronghold that happens in our lives when we open the door to a grudge. Bitterness, unforgiveness, 
judgment. Cain had a choice, though. So think about it. Cain had a choice. He was warned. He was said, he was said listen, Cain, don't you know that you'll be accepted? Cain, I know you're dealing with all this. Cain, listen. There's sin waiting, crouching. And Cain was wrestling. What do I do with this offense? What do I do with this disappointment? What do I do with this unjust feeling? It's not fair. Now there's a couple possibilities here of why Cain picked up a grudge. And there's all types of thoughts all over this particular passage from different scholars, but it could have been that God showed favor on Abel's offering. And so that Abel's offering was given in faith, but Cain's wasn't. It could have been that Cain gave his offering to God with selfish motives to get something back. And Abel did it from worship, not to get. Or, or it could have been that God accepted both equally, but chose to just show favor. We don't know all the details, but what we do know is that regardless of what it was, regardless of what, how it all played out or why it played out, something in Cain's heart twisted. It changed him, his physical appearance. It changed how he could even receive from God speaking to him. It changed on how he saw his brother. It changed on how he saw his offering. It changed on how he saw everything. And God says, son, listen, just do what's right. Just do what's right. If you keep letting your anger, your bitterness, your jealousy, your, your selfish, this, the selfishness, this narrative in your head rule you, if you come into agreement with what that voice is telling you, don't do it. I can hear it. I can smell it. Sin's knocking at your door. Don't let it in. You must rule over it. So God gave Cain a chance. Cain could have repented. He could have realigned his heart. He could have. He could have said, God, you're right. I'm sorry. He could have celebrated with Abel and said, Abel, I'm so grateful God showed favor on your offering. I celebrate with you. And God, you're such a good God that you would bless my brother that way. But that's not what he did. He picked up the grudge. He opened the door to the grudge, to the sin, to the bitterness, to the unforgiveness, to the judgment. In Genesis 4, 8, says, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Killed him. Cain opened the door to sin. This is a part of who we are, the sinful nature that we inherit. This is something we have to beat back and crucify daily. This is something that we need to reckon ourselves as dead and not pick up and not live out of. Is it easy? It is not easy. But it's necessary for you to live the life that God's called you to live. 
Friends, what was crouching at Cain's door. Now listen to me. It's the same thing that's crouching at your door. The same thing. And as we are on a journey of growing with God, committing our lives to him, allowing the word of God to transform us, Satan is going to try to derail you. He's going to try to cut in and derail you from being what God's called you to be. And many times it will be by you picking up an offense, by you picking up a grudge, by you letting your, uh, your imagination run unchecked, unsubmitted. But also there's, a, there's another step here. There's, a, there's something else that also we need to understand. Though we have naturally picked up the, the desire to pick up a grudge or a sin or bitterness or feeling wronged and self-justified and the selfish narrative that, that rolls in our heads just like a, like a steamroller, it's telling us how we were wronged. It's telling us you deserve the grudge. It's telling us you should be bitter. It's telling us you should be mad. And then it tells you this, this is giving me energy and fuel. And finally, I can speak up for myself because I'm bitter and grud begrudged and angry. But what we also need to understand, though we have learned it from our fleshly nature, we've also that the areas of grudges and bitterness, they're not just the part of the flesh that we need to crucify. Many times they're learned behaviors that we've picked up and are transferred from our upbringing, transferred from our parents. We have things come to us in our minds that are against other people. I don't like you. Why? I don't know. I just don't. Types of people, certain personalities, certain things that remind you of a dysfunctional home and you made a decision and a judgment when you were younger, I will never let that be in my, in my life ever again. And then all of a sudden, then you become that which you despise, you become it. If you had a controlling parent, then you will desire to, to, to never be controlled, but thus become a controller so that it never happens. And we pick up grudges. We pick up bitterness. We pick up gossip. We pick up these things that eat away at our hearts ever before we even know our times tables. Even before we can make our own lunch. I don't know how to make my lunch, but I know how to be bitter and mad and talk bad and criticize and judge I know how to do that. We don't know why. It's learned behavior. Sinful behavior. Grudges, offenses, and bitterness. It's a part of a human fallen nature. And this is what God asked me to preach on today. And I said, God, it's going to be quiet. I like response. And we, but we see this attitude in Cain. Jesus said we would see it also in the last days. 
Matthew 24, 10 and 13, he said, many will be offended. Everybody say many. Many. Will betray one another. In other words, there was a relationship that was happening. There was a covenant. There was, could be in church, could be in marriage, could be in friendship, could be. But you will betray one another. And then will hate one another. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures shall be saved. He who endures without picking up an offense and a grudge will be saved. Cain's offense somehow gave him permission. Somehow it emboldened him to act as judge and jury, think about it, over God and to execute Abel because of what was in his heart. And for a moment, it felt right. It felt justified. He said, I feel overlooked. I'm the older brother. I should have been shown favor. I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. God, you don't care how that made me feel when you showed favor to Abel. Abel, you don't know every time I see you and your favor, how it makes me feel. So I will act from my flesh and I will prove to you and show you how upset I really am. Come here, Abel. And he kills him. Sin was crouching at the door. Now sin has taken up residence in Cain. And the account goes that God comes to Cain. Verse 9, and the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Look, 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 what that, look what that grudge has turned his heart against God. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So... For us today, I want you to see this for a moment. Cain receives judgment from God. And he receives judgment because of the judgment that he took in his own hands. So listen, Cain acted out as judge. God then comes to Cain and receives judgment from God. Cain thought his way was right and he expressed it and he said it and he was angry and his countenance showed it. Listen, from the beginning of our, of our first, the first human being born under the, the curse of sin, we have had a problem with judgment and criticizing. Criticizing God, criticizing others, judging, standing in place as judge. And Jesus was dealing with this issue because he knows how destructive it is in our lives. Matthew 7, he says, judge not that you be not judged. Now, people use this all the time and say, 
And so you can't judge, you know, you can't judge people and say something's a sin or not a sin. No, you can judge sin. That's a sin, the Bible says. But that's not the context here. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So for Cain, he, he, he gave judgment, and then with that judgment, he received judgment. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your eye? So think about this. Jesus came not to condemn the world because of, because of our sin. He didn't come to condemn us, but he came to save us. So what is this judgment? Because what this means is that if you were in Christ, the judgment over your life, God's already judged you. He's judged you as righteous because you're in Jesus Christ. You're, you're clothed in his righteousness. There is no judgment of, ah, I'm going to judge you and punish you for your sin. He's already punished the sin that is in your life and the sin you committed. He punished all of it, every bit of it, on the cross of Jesus Christ. That you were supposed to be there, but Jesus went in your place. Therefore, you've already been judged. And by your faith in Christ, you are righteous and holy and sanctified. Amen? So, so then how are we judged then? On this earth, if we've already been judged, right before God. God isn't judging us, but we are judging ourselves. See, God's so clever, he's warning us about judging on the earth because there is a you reap what you sow kind of thing going on. So we are judging ourselves by the thoughts we think and the words we say towards other people. The truth is this, most of us are so self-conscious about what people are thinking and saying about us and feeling about us. And, and we, we live in this world of so self-conscious that every word that's said is we're defensive over it and, we, and we're offended by it. We're so self-conscious because we've sown so much criticism and so much judgment against other people that we are reaping back between our own two ears the judgment that we have given to others. The truth is this, if you're constantly judging and criticizing others, your mind is going to fall, as the scripture said, under the same measure of judgment. And you will be thinking everyone is always judging you. And you'll be thinking that to, to the degree that you are judging and criticizing others. I want you to remember the purpose of humankind. Genesis 1, humans were made in the image of God, which means we are righteous in Christ when we came to Christ. In other words, we become his image. We are imagers. And now in Christ, we are to reflect God. We live in a way, we think in a way, we feel in a way, we speak in a way that calls attention to the grace of God. I don't do this perfectly. I don't always live in a way and speak in a way and be in a way and think. I, I don't always do that. But the truth is, is that is my job as a follower of Jesus is to, is to be an image bearer, to reflect his grace that's been poured out on my life. 
But think about this for a moment. When those around you realize you have resentment, you have judgment, you have bitterness, because when, you, when we open our mouths about a person, an event, family members, a small group, or someone in your small group, your church, a boss, a coach, the words from your mouth are negative, they are critical, you're always comparing. You're always comparing someone or something else that's always way better than this person or this thing that you're talking about. And when you do that, you are not bearing the correct image of God through your life to others. You, you are mis-imaging him. And for us parents, and this is a real word from the Lord today, for us parents, your kids have inherited enough judgment, enough jealousy, enough bitterness through Adam. The last thing they need is a tutorial in the home on how to hold a grudge, how to criticize, and how to judge others, but still make it to heaven. When you have unforgiveness in your heart, and full of a grudge, and full of something else. The unsaved around you, your children, your neighbors around you, they cannot see the grace of God manifested in your life because every time you open your mouth, you're telling them about something that's wrong or critical or judging. And you wonder why your own mind is, is reeling all the time and, and angry all the time. You think everybody on the road is actually after you. You think that everybody you get in, that you get in front of at a, at, a, at a marketplace, is they're purposely going slow. You think that every word that's said is somehow directed at you and is meant to hurt you or criticize you or judge you. Why do you think that is? You are receiving the same measure of judgment that you have been giving to others. That's what Jesus said. There's a lot of application in Genesis 4 we don't have time for. But Genesis 4 wasn't the tale of two brothers. It was the treachery of an offended heart. An unconfessed, unrepented, offended heart that led to bitterness. Holding a grudge becomes a spiritual heart disease. It affects you mentally. It affects you spiritually. It affects you physically. It separates you. Th think about this from life-giving relationships that God put in your life to be a blessing to you. Like Cain, it took a brother from him. But this spirit, it takes sisters from you, it takes spouses from you, it takes children from you, it takes in-laws from you, it takes church family from you, it takes the opposite sex from you. The offended heart, the begrudged heart is in great turmoil all the time. It's like a, a, an, an electric, um, electronic capacitor that's filled with this electric charge. And at any moment, if, if the right two ends are touched, bam! It discharges. And some of us, some of us are, have controlled it enough that, that we, we, we don't show it all the time around people we want to impress. But, our, but our, the ones that we love the most are the ones that get it all. 
And when, you're, when you carry a grudge, friends, you are always on a mission to settle the score. Somehow, someplace, somewhere, I'm going to settle the score. It might be with a stranger. It might be anonymously. It might be in your own head. But by golly, you're going to settle the score. Friends, this is what we've inherited within our fallen nature. And in our world and in our time, there is no time that I've been alive that people have been this offended, this bitter. But the church has justified bitterness and anger. We've stood in judgment. We've prayed. I mean, I wouldn't murder someone, but if someone took them out, I wouldn't care. The writer of Hebrews says this to the church, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, holy, holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root, everybody say bitter root. Make sure, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. And what happens when it, when it grows up in your life? It's not just, no, 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 this is my thing. It's okay. It's my personality. I'm justice oriented. And you're not going to tell me what to do. And I'm never going to, you can't do this. To What happens when you pick that up? It says it defiles many. When you have a bitter root, it starts to spread, friends, like a, like a virus, like, like covid Like COVID was spread from our, from our mouths, bitterness spreads. And guess what? From the same place, from our mouths. It causes disease to spread in our homes, in our churches. It kills and robs from you opportunity and promotion and financial blessing. It's like a flamethrower to the fields of harvest that God has given you. It consumes that, that which was meant to give us life and to bless you. So the field God gives you to labor in and work and, and make and, and, and to offer him and to give him your life and to serve in it and your marriage and your family and your church. That you could serve it and, and work in it and, and, and receive a, a reward for what he's given you. We start cursing it with our mouths and it defiles it and it defiles those around us. My wife is this way. My lousy husband is this way. My church is stupid. This song is dumb. That guy on YouTube channel at least told me, told me that song was dumb. But the, anyway, I'm just believing what he said. And so while God entrusts us with opportunity to worship him, 
with the areas in our lives, with our relationships, with our job, with our church, with our home, with our family, we ignore all the things that are good. We don't thank God for what is good. We don't thank God for all of these other things. And we could cultivate those and receive harvest from them and eat from them and eat of the fruit of our relationships and our marriage and our, and our family and our church. And, but we choose to defile it with our bitterness, just like Cain. Cain could have cultivated this opportunity and worship God. He could have celebrated with his brother, but he chose to see what wasn't instead of what was. And so he defiled his opportunity with his bitter heart. Church, listen, the sin of Cain The truth is this, and this is what I feel like God asked me to speak to you. The sin of Cain is crouching at your door. Second John 1.8 says, watch out that you do not lose what we, actually that word there is you, have worked for but that you may be rewarded fully, completely. In other words, friends, you have opportunity in your life to cultivate, to labor, to work, to bring forth fruit. You have an opportunity, if you're hearing this today and you're joining us online, you have an opportunity to repent, to say, God, cleanse me. God, deal with me. God, deal with my heart, deal with my mind. Deal with the the raging fire inside of my belly. I don't even know where it came from. Just like God came to Cain, he said, Cain, listen, listen. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm here, you're accepted. Don't, don't pick up that grudge. Cain had a choice and so do we. And the beautiful thing about where we are And the new covenant is that we can confess our sins and he is faithful to cleanse us and to deliver us and to heal us. I'm not saying that things weren't done to you that weren't wrong. I'm not saying that you weren't hurt. I'm not saying that the words that were spoken to you were justified. Regardless of why you have the raging fire inside of you of a grudge, what I do know is that Jesus stands and he asks you if you will give it to him, if you allow him to restore, to heal. If you will give up your right to 
defend, to be right, to justify. That we could regard ourselves as dead because we were buried with Christ and we were raised to live. That's old nature stuff. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that wants to deliver us today. He wants to deliver you. I'll close with this. Ephesians 4 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, as your pastor, I'll tell you this. There have been things that have come out of my mouth that was not a benefit to people around me, to my children, to my wife. I'm, I'm really good at, at guarding that, this in, with our staff and with you. Something happens though, right? When we, when we get comfortable and we say, hmm. and the Holy Spirit says, no, that's not for those who are bearing my image. Scripture goes on to say, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. In other words, it's possible. Get rid of rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Now look at this, just as Christ, God forgave you. You will never have to forgive anyone any more than what Christ has forgiven you. And so if you want slack and grace, then I would say you extend slack and grace. But we ask God to evaluate our hearts today so that we can reap from the field that God's put us in, that we could guard the words of our mouths, that we would quiet the narrative of our heads, that we would reject what we picked up from our parents and from our childhood and from our sinful nature, and we could allow him to restore unto us a new heart. If you can, just right where you are, just bow your heads just for a moment. Lord, today we confess that we have let sin come in. And Lord, we recognize today that we are powerless over it. But in you, you have the power to deliver us from grudges. So Lord, I, if this is your prayer, just come into agreement with me. Lord, I want to be delivered from grudges. I want to be delivered from bitterness. 
I want, I want to be delivered from a critical spirit. I want to be delivered from cursing the field in which God placed me in, which you placed me in, to meet my needs and to reap a reward. And so, Lord, I don't compare anyone's field with mine. I rejoice in the field that I'm in. I rejoice in the church that you placed me in. I rejoice in the spouse that you've given me. I rejoice in the family that you've set me in. I rejoice. And so, Lord, forgive me for operating out of the sin of Cain. And so today, give me a new heart. If you can, just lay your hand right on your heart today. Lord, give me a new heart. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You can, you can speak and take authority over your own heart today. Father, in Jesus' name, I take authority over my own heart through your power and through your spirit. And I command bitterness and a critical spirit and judgmental words and thoughts. I command you, Satan, to loose, loose today. Loose your hand and your chokehold on my heart, on my mind, in the name of Jesus. I break the agreement that I've come into alignment with that it's okay for me to be bitter. It's okay for me to be angry. It's okay for me to be, be filled with a grudge. It's okay for me to criticize everything and pull everything down. I, I rebuke that. I repent to you, Lord Jesus, today. And Satan, I rebuke that agreement that I came in alignment with that said that's okay for me to defend myself out of anger and pain and judgment. If you can, just lay your hand on your mind today, just right where you are. Lord, today I make a commitment that I'm going to continue to cast down every thought that is contrary to your word. And so, Lord, I ask you that you would renew my mind, renew my mind, create new pathways of thinking and process. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and, and bring deliverance by the power of God. Bring deliverance today in Jesus' name. Some of you need to be delivered from a bitter spirit. And you just, you just speak it and just ask God, God, deliver me right now in the name of Jesus. Receive your deliverance today. I want you to see the, that, that, that foul spirit losing its grip on your heart, on the filter of your mind, the filter of your words, the filter of, of everything about your life. You, you watch that thing be ripped out from you in the name of Jesus. Imagine that happening, that the root of bitterness will be pulled out today in the name of Jesus. And Lord, today we thank you for your power. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your spirit that enables us, that calls us closer, that your word, even from the fourth chapter of Genesis, pinpoints an issue that is deeply rooted in our lives. And so God, today we say yes to you. We say yes to your spirit. We say yes to living humbly before you. We say yes to, to having a contrite 
and broken spirit before you. We say yes to being a person of humility and humbleness. We say yes to not attributing ourselves as somehow higher than what we ought to. God, we no longer think higher of ourselves than we ought to, but we come to you recognizing it is only by your grace and through your spirit. And so, Lord, may we be your imagers that share and show the servanthood and the love and the grace of God through all that we do, that we say, and our spirits. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can you say that? Say, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It is not impossible, says the Lord. It is not impossible. It is not impossible. For what you think is impossible is with you, but with me, it's not impossible. You need to receive that today. Spirit and demon of unforgiveness. I take authority over you. As the pastor of this church, for all of those who are here today, I curse you in Jesus' name. I command you to release your hold, your stronghold from the lives of these people. Be delivered in the name of Jesus. Be set free to live and to run with joy in the life that he's called you to live. Be delivered today in Jesus' name. If we can, let's all stand to our feet today. Just want to pray a prayer blessing over you. If you can, just lift your hands to the Lord to receive from him today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless your people. And I ask you, God, to move on their behalf. May they leave here today delivered, set free, realigned. May they rediscover and open their eyes to see the field you've placed them in to reap blessing from to receive from their relationships, to receive from their spouse, their children, that today they would put a guard over their mouth, that they would not speak in a way that would misrepresent you through their lives. Lord, today I pray that you would rewire our brains, our spirits, our minds. Holy Spirit, thank you for all that you're doing. Jesus, thank you for your grace. And so Lord, today bless your people. Anoint them in the name of Jesus. May they be great spiritual giants wherever they walk and may they represent you well. May they move in power and prosperity as they bear your image to a broken and lost world. Heal them, strengthen them. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we all say amen and amen.